0: Special edition Locked on NBA. You will have the local experts on the biggest stories edition of Locked on NBA Monday, and we'll obviously check in with Oklahoma City, Toronto, and the Los Angeles teams about what has taken place with the Kawhi Leonard Paul George combination, but a special edition with our Washington Post expert Ben Goliver for you right now. And and Ben, uh, after you've gotten your bearings from the earthquake in Las, in Las Vegas, um, then the NBA earth shook. How stunned was were you what was your takeaway
1: if you had told me that zion williamson would get injured in his summer league debut and it would be the third biggest story of the five-hour news cycle i would have told you you were absolutely nuts but that's where we are i think that uh, what we're seeing is a basically a power grab uh, in the vacuum created by the golden state warriors sort of disintegrating because of injuries in the finals obviously we knew the la lakers went all in with anthony davis uh, and, and that trade and, and their desperate pursuit of Kawhi Leonard. But now you're seeing the L.A. Clippers doing exactly the same thing. They don't want to be the little brother. They want to be um, you know, in the arms race, and they proved it. Not only were they able to land Kawhi Leonard in free agency, but they traded an absolute mountain of draft picks, including a whole bunch of unprotected first-round picks for the rights to Paul George from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now they have a legit superstar duo that I think you can stack up with basically any duo in the league, uh, whether it's Steph Curry and Draymond Green, uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, you know, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of good superstar duos, but I think LA stacks up very well with all of them. They maintained a lot of their depth. They're going to be able to put uh, some incredibly balanced, uh, you know, five man lineups with shooting, with playmaking, with a number of impact perimeter defenders. Um, I think Doc Rivers and the Clippers front office has just got to be elated after the way the last two, uh, you know, last week, really, of free agency pursuits went down.
0: What? Let me go big picture for a second. Is there a major takeaway about the league? Is there a long term ramification in any way about what this does and means inside the league?
1: Well, I think the uh, the main thing is that superstars, even if they sign long term contracts, even if they profess their happiness, like a Paul George in Oklahoma City, I think the big takeaway is these guys have no patience anymore, and they're willing to uh, move mountains or or have teams move mountains for them if they're able to better their uh, situation. I'm not going to you know decry that as some like lack of loyalty or or you know spin it that way. But I think what you're seeing is that the chess pieces are moving more quickly and more often than ever before. And the smartest organizations realize that this is now a player-driven league. You've got to appeal to their um, interests. What what uh, motivates them? You've got to be able to set the table and, uh, you know, potentially uh, accommodate multiple stars arriving into your organization at the same time. You saw the Brooklyn Nets do that, no question about it, and how they were able to pursue both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Now you see the Clippers do that basically effortlessly, uh, it, with their work to grab Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I mean, just like three or four years ago, the Clippers were stuck with the big three of Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan that really didn't make any sense and had a very hard ceiling. Now they've landed uh, an organization that looks completely different, you know, basically turned over the entire roster with new stars at the top that definitely has a much higher ceiling and could very well compete for the first uh, title in franchise history. I think that's the blueprint, you know, executives are being very aggressive, you know, from the uh, side to Lawrence Frank and company with the Clippers uh, to the Lakers, Rob Palenka. I think there's been a much more of a, a short-term focus here uh, over the last 12 months, uh, just because, uh, you know, people are starting to feel like Golden State might be vulnerable. Uh, and then you're seeing, uh, you know, like I mentioned, very careful, deliberate planning, uh, to recruit you know superstar free agents in their prime, almost like it's a college recruiting uh, you know game just on a much higher scale,
0: let me zero in on Paul George for a second because I think that this is interesting. so his staying in Oklahoma City was this great win for the small market franchise who brings the guy in town, shows him the value of the small market, and they sign him again as a free agent and then less than 24 or 12 months later he demands out i get so in a sense what he really did is use them to get his max contract handled it for a year and then has now taken off and gotten to his promised land where he always wanted to be the whole time anyway how bad and how ter- how terrifying not maybe bad but how terrifying should that be to middle and small market franchises
1: Oh, it should be scary for sure. There's no question about it. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, things can change in the bleaker eye, and I think a lot of these organizations are realizing if your star is unhappy, you know, what's the point of having you know him with three years left on your on his contract? That doesn't necessarily give you any leverage. I mean, it could spoil your chemistry. It could uh, shake up your season in ways that you don't like. And so, what what are your choices to try to make it uh, work with an unhappy star, or to just trade him and get out in front of it? And hope for the best going forward. I mean, those are not great choices. I actually think Sam Presti handled this situation very well. I think if you like compare his proactivity and being able to you know move Paul George and get a lot of picks uh, out of that deal and a couple of nice uh, starting caliber players as well, um, you know compare that to like what Dell Demps did in New Orleans, where he's just sort of obstinate and stubborn and would not trade Anthony Davis before the trade deadline, and all of a sudden Dell Demps winds up fired, and uh, you know the Pelicans wind up trading. Anthony Davis to the Lakers anyway a few months later, I think that the, the Presti approach is actually better for the long-term health of your organization to just, you know, get rid of the bad apples and the people who don't want to be there uh, and keep it moving. But uh, it sets, uh, you know, a pretty dangerous precedent here. I mean, and I also think it puts a lot of pressure on the smaller market teams to keep their stars happy by any means necessary. You know, bend over backwards. I mean, we'll see, you know, do guys get to hire their own uh, you know, strength and conditioning type coaches or assisted coaches that, uh, you know, maybe are personal favorites, or do guys uh, get to do the load management thing like Kawhi Leonard did throughout Toronto? I mean, I think it just puts, uh, you know, small market teams behind the eight ball, uh, no question about it. But when we look at Paul George's decision, I mean, a lot changed in those 12 months, too, right? Like Russell Westbrook's game definitely atrophied. And to me, he just made a mistake with the first decision. And this is, you know, amounts to kind of undoing it. But it was kind of silly of him to run it back with Oklahoma City Thunder on a team that did not have a championship contention ceiling. Uh, I always wondered how long it would last. Certainly I didn't see him demanding a trade after a year. But it, to me, that group just seemed like it was headed nowhere. They were kind of in a demoralizing position heading into the summer, You know, totally capped out. Uh, you know, The pieces weren't quite fitting. No real way to work around uh, Westbrook's gigantic contract. And so to me, Paul George actually winds up being a pretty clear winner here. He's going to uh, a better situation with a better superstar teammate uh, in a market that's his home. I think they're going to be higher profile than they were in Oklahoma City, and there's going to be a lot more appreciation of what Paul George can do uh, in his new market. His team, uh, you know, in terms of the supporting cast, is deeper, the pieces fit better. Uh, so to me, uh, unfortunately, you know, for people who are you know, questioning you know, what are his motivations or you know why did he turn around on the Thunder so quickly, I think the facts are he landed himself in a better spot.
0: We'll look at the Western Conference and how they sit and then look at the Eastern Conference and how they sit and maybe what Russell Westbrook's future is as we continue. Ben Golliver, Washington Post with us on a special edition of Locked On NBA on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on NBA tomorrow's edition. We'll be back with you. It is the local experts and on the biggest stories. We'll check in in the local markets as only the Locked on Podcast Network can with all of those insight and expertise of those local on the reaction to this situation. Your Western Conference favorite is?
1: Uh, LA Clippers. Uh, I think that they've got the depth. I think they've got the star power. I think they've got the coach. I think they've got the chemistry and the camaraderie carried over from last year. Uh, like I mentioned, they're going to have an incredible defensive lineup they can throw out there. I really like the potential for their small ball look to close with Montrez Harrell at center, Lou Williams as a, you know, a backcourt playmaker, Paul George, uh, you know Patrick Beverly, and Kawhi Leonard. I mean, that's a tough, physical, smart, veteran, hardworking, relentless type of group. And so to me, I, I think they deserve to be uh, viewed as the favorites. Uh, past that, though, there's a very deep uh, list of teams in the Western Conference who could convince themselves they can win the title next year. I mean, uh, the Houston Rockets are on that list. I think the L.A. Uh, Lakers, depending on how the rest of their moves go, uh, could be on that list. Utah Jazz, Denver Nuggets, probably the most slept-on team in the entire league right now because they had kind of a quiet offseason. Those teams deserve to be on that list. I think the Portland Trailblazers want to be on that list. Uh, I've yet to be sold on you know their moves this summer, uh, but you know certainly they'll be getting Nurkic back at some point. I mean, that's a pretty hefty group of potential contenders. And don't forget about the Golden State Warriors either. You know, I think they're heading for a meaningful step back next season as they kind of you know recuperate and recover from the Kevin Durant departure. Uh, but, you know, they're going to be a very tough out no matter who they play as, as long as they qualify for the playoffs. So that's a deep picture. That's the deepest picture of true kind of contending-type teams that I can remember uh, you know, since covering this league for the past ten or eleven years, so I can't wait to get this thing started.
0: You talk to league officials; they'll tell you this was their vision on the new collective bargaining agreement the whole time. And that had the union done the smoothing, they would have. We would have been in this situation for the last few years. That oh, Durant wouldn't have been able to go to the Warriors, and we wouldn't have had – we would have had great teams, but we wouldn't have had that dominant favorite, and you would have had six or seven teams that could win it. One, do you believe that? And two, is it actually good for the league, or are the Warrior-type teams good for the league?
1: You know, I think this is Adam Silver. This is like kind of his crowning moment, right? Because we've been hearing him preach about the virtues of competitive balance for like a decade, going back to when he was even the deputy commissioner, and that's not what we've seen instead we've seen a super team completely dominate and establish a dynasty over the last five years, and as you're mentioning, uh, no cap smoothing winds up putting them in a situation where they've got five all stars in their starting lineup and multiple MVPs on the same team and that is you know pretty much the antithesis of the competitive balance that he was trying to pitch. I think now he's got it you know like I mentioned earlier, there's superstar duos just all over the league. I think you've got you know, two really intriguing uh, potential contenders in the Eastern Conference with Milwaukee uh, and Philadelphia. Uh, I think Toronto is going to be able to still make some noise despite their offseason losses, including Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. Uh, And then in the Western Conference, like we mentioned, you know, go seven deep. You can't ask for much more than that. I mean, if you're in a uh, five-player sport where one guy can swing an entire team's fortunes and really, you know, change the entire league with his free agency decision like a Kawhi Leonard, uh, you know, that's that's pretty darn good. And I can't remember it being more balanced uh, at any point over the last decade than it's going to be uh, this year going forward.
0: So over the last period of time, when we did our predictions, the Warriors were the favorites and that was just like, there wasn't anyone close. I mean, the Rockets ended up getting them one year, but in, in the regular season, but we all would pick our favorites and it was universal across the board. Are the Clippers Equal to that as a favorite in your mind in the Western Conference? Are they a 60 win team while everybody else is 52 the way the Warriors have no, projected no, no. to be, or do you see it much closer than that?
1: I don't see it like that because, first of all, I think uh, you've got two guys with their stars, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, who both have some injury issues. I mean, Paul George just had shoulder surgery, Kawhi Leonard was just limping through the final, and obviously both those guys had incredible seasons. Uh, you know, Paul George more in the regular season and, and Kawhi Leonard more in the postseason. But I think we're going to be seeing some load management from the Clippers on Kawhi, no question about it. I think they understand uh, and have improved their medical team here over the last couple of years with owner Steve Ballmer. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if they kind of take it easy during the regular season. And then with Paul George, like you want to make sure that all those draft picks uh, were a good investment. Like I don't think you want to run him into the ground either. Uh, And so from that standpoint, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Like, you know, they could win the title and not be the one seed. You know what I mean? One of those types of situations where they just pace themselves uh, during the regular season. But uh, the difference between the Clippers and the Warriors of years past, it's not the top couple of guys, because I think you could say this Leonard George uh, pairing in terms of talent and fame and all that is somewhat comparable, not quite as good as Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, but you know, in the same ballpark, but it's really the guys like three through seven, uh, where those guys were all all star level players, some of them future Hall of Famers, uh, you know perennial all stars, all NBA talents in Golden State. Whereas with the Clippers, they're you know solid players, maybe even above average at their position in terms of starters, uh, very reliable, trustworthy, great fits, bought into the team culture, you know no egos, that kind of thing but they're not the super star, superstar level players. And I think that's really where the, the difference between those two teams uh, um, shows itself most obviously.
0: How big a setback is it, or is it not for the Lakers to have missed out on this?
1: Oh, it's huge, man. I mean, this is an absolute backbreaker. Uh, I said all along, like the Anthony Davis trade terms made a lot of sense. If you knew you were getting a third star, whether that was Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, D'Angelo Russell, I mean, you name it, whoever that third guy was going to be, even Kevin Durant, if he was injured, if you could plug him into that hole, there's almost no price that's too high to bring in Anthony Davis and a third star for LeBron James, right? The problem is uh, the guys that L.A. has to pivot to because they missed on Kawhi Leonard are not great, and they were revealed to be not great last season with the Los Angeles Lakers. You look at JaVale McGee, uh, you know, John Rondo, KCP, sort of the list goes on and on there, those guys were dealing with inconsistency issues, fit issues with LeBron, buy-in issues, you know, with the coaching staff, and, and that was even, you know, separate from all the Anthony Davis trade rumors that ultimately sort of ruined and, and scuttled the Lakers season, right? So I think that, you know, the idea of having a big three where uh, they all shared the burden, kind of overwhelmed people in the playoffs and just no one had a, a defensive matchup for both Kawhi and LeBron, and Anthony Davis. I mean, no team in the West would really be able to match up with those three guys You know, compared to where they are now, where they've got a lot of weak links, they've got a lot of empty minutes they're just going to try to be filling and trying to get by with. Um, You know, I don't like it. Now, you can look at their other two moves, whether it's uh, Danny Green or what recently broke here with the Marcus Cousins. I mean, I like both those ideas in theory. I think Danny Green's actually going to be a really good fit for what they're trying to do but i'm not sure that they're total, you know, game changer type, uh, you know, acquisitions for la and they're certainly not the type to sort of lift them up um, you know, into what i would consider the top tier of contenders. and one reason why i say that is they have a brand new coach, they've had questions about their front office Uh, There's always the circus environment around this organization. You know, uh, the the on-court stuff and the off-court stuff is just sort of nonstop with the Lakers. There's a lot that goes into trying to win with this group and pull them together. And they fractured last year very badly and I think that that experience should be fresh in people's mind where even though you're bringing in a big-time talent like Anthony Davis, that doesn't necessarily cure everything, and there's still some underlying issues they're going to have to get through.
0: A year ago, I had the Rockets as the number 2 team in the West, and then they traded and signed Carmelo Anthony, and I think I dropped them to, like, fifth. Um, I kind of feel the same way about DeMarcus Cousins. I thought the Lakers were probably the second or third best team in the West, and now that they've signed DeMarcus Cousins and Rajon Rondo, I'm not... Entirely convinced, I think they got any better.
1: I hear you. When I look at the Rockets, I think that they're among the biggest winners of, or you know, kind of tangential winners of the Clippers getting Kawhi Leonard, because the idea of the big three in with the Lakers was going to be really hard for Houston to match up with, almost no matter what they did. Even if they were able to trade Chris Paul or any of these other moves, they just were not going to have defensive answers for those three stars. Now that it's kind of balanced where there's two stars with the Lakers, two stars with the Clippers, I think Houston is still in that mix and still potentially able to ride, you know, James Harden to a pretty nice and deep uh, postseason run. The tricky part to me though is I mean, if it winds up being like Clippers versus Rockets in the playoffs, is there two guys in the league you'd rather have guarding James Harden than Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, or the idea that you could switch those two guys or, you know, throw Patrick Beverly on him for a, a stretch just to make his life miserable? I mean, that is a, still a very, very tough proposition for Houston, so while I think they kind of win maybe in the big picture uh, you know it, their life didn't get any easier and uh, and we'll see if they can ever finally break through I mean this should be their year, right we've been waiting year after year after year for Houston kind of to finally get over the hump, finally outlast the golden State warriors. Here's their time to shine, and we'll see if they can do it
0: one other team in the Western conference is transform themselves and it's very different. It's Utah with Mike Conley and Bojan Bogdanovic. How good do you think that team is?
1: They're awesome. I mean, I was talking about the Clippers' best five-man lineup. Like, I think Utah's best five-man lineup looks really, really nice on paper. They've done a good job around the margins kind of filling out a rotation. Um, You know, they're another one where their goal should just be to get through the season healthy. Like, I understand that they've had some really up-and-down regular seasons these last couple of years where there's just stretches of absolute brilliance and stretches that kind of make you scratch your head. And sometimes there's been injury issues involved with that. Uh, But that's another team where, you know, it'd be okay if you load manage Rudy Gobert a little bit, you know, or you load managed Mike Conley a little bit, you know, and I understand you turn Donovan Mitchell loose. He's your young star, kind of the face, the marketing guy. Uh, And so you you kind of let him do his thing. But if I were them, I would be, you know, entering the season with a postseason first mentality uh, because they've got a lot of, of really intriguing pieces that fit well. That makes sense for modern playoff basketball. They've just restored the balance to their group. It's not too defense heavy. It's not too reliant upon one playmaker or one ball handler like it's been these last couple of years. They've got multiple ball handlers, an extra shooter uh, and complementary scorer in in Bogdanovich, who you mentioned, uh, and just a nice fit overall. Plus, to me, they're one of these teams that has done a great job of avoiding the locker room drama, turmoil, all that kind of stuff here over the last few years. Now, you know, people might say, "Oh, Rudy Gobert, he's a little bit emotional, or he wears his heart on his sleeve, or he's you know, he's a, you know th- those kinds of knocks." I mean, to me, those are you know, that's small, small potatoes compared to some of the distractions that we see in other markets, maybe with bigger uh, you know superstar names, higher profile players. So I like them as a steady uh, team. I would not be surprised at all if they made the Western Conference Finals.
0: What does Oklahoma City do next? And the Eastern Conference. We continue with Ben Golliver. Make sure you follow Locked On NBA Net on Twitter. That's Locked On NBA Net on Twitter for all the latest news from all the local experts. Of the Locked On Podcast Network on one feed. Ben Golliver, Washington Post expert, with us here on the Locked On Podcast Network tomorrow. Local experts on the biggest stories, and then the regular schedule throughout the week, plus all the guys in summer league. So all that activity taking place. Uh, ben. What do the Oklahoma City Thunder do?
1: I think they're going to be exploring Russell Westbrook trades, you know, basically no question about it. I mean, they have been pitching their fan base, Westbrook, Paul George, anybody who would listen on the idea that those two guys were going to sort of be able to carry them through the postseason. And now they've just completely blown that up with this trade. So there's going to be fallout from there, uh, no doubt. The tricky part is, if you're looking at who could be a fit for a Russell Westbrook trade, unfortunately this is going to sound mean, but like you almost have to just list like who are the worst front offices in the NBA that would actually be interested in trading for Russell Westbrook at his contract number, or who are the most desperate teams who would be willing to take on the level of risk associated with some of his decline, uh, you know, from a physical standpoint here over the last year, his inefficiency as a scorer, I think his single-mindedness as a ball handler, Uh, And then also, you know, the gigantic contract that they signed, you know, supermax terms that just goes on forever and ever at some crazy balloon numbers, uh, the further it goes. So um, it is difficult to put together, you know, potential trade partners. I mean, the first couple of names that come to mind would be teams like, you know, the Knicks or the Wizards or the Charlotte Hornets or the Phoenix Suns, you know, like these teams that really are motivated to just, completely change the story and accept some long-term risk just for, you know, a shot in the arm of some star power that maybe they've been lacking uh, over the last couple of years. Now, those names I mentioned at this point, they're just me speculating. Um, But I think that if you're Oklahoma city and you're able to get off of Russell Westbrook's contract, you're able to sort of, uh, you know, play a longer term rebuilding game with a bunch of these draft assets they got in the Paul George trade. That could be the way to go. Now their backup plan is, you know, you try to find a way to mend fences with Russell Westbrook Turn him loose, let him get whatever numbers he wants. Hopefully, you're kind of you know right around the playoff bubble. Uh, maybe you can sneak in next season. And with that formula, I don't really see that working out very well for them. But I think that would have to be their backup plan if they can't move him. What about Orlando? Yeah, that's one where I mean their front office has been really tough to get a read on because they just keep bringing guys back, you know, and it's like you you would think when John Hammond got there that there was going to be some picking and choosing going on where like, okay, these guys are keepers, now we're going to bring in some of our own players, but you know, their summer was really about retention mode, and I think that they're probably feeling like, look, there's been so much shakeup in the middle class of the Eastern Conference, maybe Orlando can sneak up there and be like a 4 or a 5 seed and that's why they decided to run it back. Um uh, to me, they have so many non-shooters already that, you know, dropping Westbrook into that mix uh, would just further crush the court. It would really shake up whatever kind of chemistry and locker room dynamic they've got going on. Uh, obviously, they would sell some jerseys, and no question about that. Uh, but if I were the Magic, I would proceed with caution because they've got a bunch of pretty good young players. And, you know, taking on Westbrook is a full experience. You know, we've heard about it for years from Oklahoma City with his personality, with how he conducts himself off the court and all that stuff. Uh, it's almost one of those buyer beware type deals.
0: The favorite in the Eastern Conference is to me, it's the Milwaukee Bucks.
1: Uh, they were able to you know avoid any major poaching, even though they had a whole bunch of free agents who were uh, you know up was Brook Lopez, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, George Hill, uh, Chris Middleton. I mean, they basically kept everybody besides Brogdon, and they were able to make some you know low cost kind of around the uh, the edges moves with west matthews and and robin lopez so i think that they've put themselves in a pretty good spot but frankly philadelphia uh, i i think had the best move of any eastern conference team if we're not counting the kevin durant signing because he won't be around next year being able to grab al horford and give yourself two really quality interior defenders to use is almost like a wall to slow down Giannis in the postseason i mean i think to me that's a really nice chess move for them uh, and I think there's there's not much that separates Philadelphia and Milwaukee. To me, those two teams are the class of the Eastern Conference, and I expect to see them in the Eastern Conference Finals.
0: Who does Giannis – I mean, so you think Horford guards Giannis? I mean, I trying to figure out who Horford guards. Does he guard Tatum? Who Does, does he guard TJ Warren? Like, who's Horford guarding?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, first of all, they'll stagger him and Embiid, you know, for a decent amount. But Horford, uh, you know, he can still get around the perimeter a little bit. I think you're going to try to hide him on non-shooters. But against Milwaukee, uh, I think your scheme is like daring those, uh, you know, the, the Eric Bledsoe's of the world to beat you from the three-point line. And so if you're a little bit late getting out to the occasional shooter on the rotations, uh, that's okay as long as you're taking away the pain from Giannis and keeping him off the free-throw line. We saw Horford have some pretty good success uh, uh, against Giannis. Uh, you know, at, at times, at least early in that second round series, now Giannis was able to unlock uh, Boston's defense and figure it out. Uh, but I think the the more intelligent big man defenders you have that can just, uh, you know, set up in the paint and try to limit him as much as possible, similar to what we saw Toronto do uh, late in the Eastern Conference Finals. That's sort of the formula for taking apart Milwaukee's offense. Uh, and I think Philadelphia is now better equipped to do that with their two bigs than they were with just Joel Embiid.
0: Your favorite to win it all is it? Uh, it in a sense you're saying it's Clippers-Milwaukee, right? And I'm not making you make a prediction, but it's interesting. Do you think Milwaukee's route is so much easier than the Clippers in the Western Conference that you would just take Milwaukee as the favorite to win it?
1: Ooh, I haven't really dug deep into that one, but what a, an amazing turn of events that would be for the NBA. After all this uh, uh, Warriors, uh, you know, Cavaliers year after year after year, if somehow the, the finals next year is Bucks-Clippers, uh, I mean, who could have seen that coming? Uh, I think that Milwaukee will definitely have an easier path. I don't think that they would be challenged really until the Eastern Conference finals. Like, if you put them in a second round series with Toronto, to me, that's over in five games. Same deal with Brooklyn, same deal with Boston. Like, I'm not really convinced about any of those second tier teams in the East as really being able to make uh, significant noise. Uh, but, you know, in the Western Conference, like you're mentioning, uh, if you're the Clippers, you're probably going to have three tough series, you know, and, and at least two. Uh, there's not going to be any way around that. Uh, Is that enough to tip the balance in Milwaukee's favor, though? I'm not sure. I think if everybody's fully healthy, you're guaranteeing everybody uh, pristine health the whole way through, uh, I would take the Clippers to win the title right now.
0: Ben Golliver, Washington Post. Keep up the great work. Make sure you subscribe to Ben's weekly newsletter. It's terrific. uh, At WashingtonPost.com, you can go and get that weekly newsletter as long as some others. Washington Post has a ton of, obviously, other uh, things to offer for you on that whole newsletter page. Make sure you go grab that. Ben, thank you very much for the time.
1: Oh, my pleasure, man. Take care.
0: This is Locked On NBA. Make sure you get your local team's podcast as well, and then go check out Locked On Clippers, Locked On Lakers, Locked On Thunder, Locked On Raptors. Get all their reaction. This is the Locked On Podcast Network.